So it's episode 12 of Emergency on Planet Sport. I'm Jonathan Overend, alongside Melissa Wilson. Hello. Hello. Uh, we're calling this one the three P's, uh, priorities, I guess. Priorities when it comes to the business of sport. Priorities when it comes to putting really important stuff on top of everyone's in-tray. Because the three P's in question, you're going to hear them talked about by our guest in a few moments' time. People, planet, profit. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So who have we got coming on, Melissa? We've got my great friend and someone I admire very much, uh, Jamie Farndale, who was captain of the Scottish Rugby Sevens team last year, is now with uh, GB Rugby Sevens and is also studying for a Master's in Sustainability Leadership at Cambridge University. So hello, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me on. No problem at all. That's 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 quite a CV, and you you know that sounds like you're 45. You're still quite young. You're still at the peak of your uh, your professional career. I mean, how are things going personally for you at the moment? Good, yeah, I, yeah. You're right. Certainly, all feels quite busy, sort of balancing the studies and and sport as well. Um, I've actually just picked up an injury just now, so got the next four to six months to focus a bit more on the sustainability stuff while I, I get myself back to fitness. So. Yeah, hopefully the, the balance will, will tip this way for a little bit. Oh, right. But yeah, I'm certainly managing it all. So there's a master plan here. You sort of you play your rugby for a bit and then you conveniently get get a knock and you've got four months out <laughs> and you can uh, you can do all your off your off pitch stuff. I wouldn't say it's that planned, no. <laughs> <laughs> Looks a bit painful to be planned. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we're in. So we were wondering if we could start out by just hearing a bit of background from you about when you started thinking about sustainability as a thing that you could engage with as an athlete that you wanted yeah. to engage with yeah I, well, I suppose for me it was always fairly separate I mean I sort of grew up in nature I suppose um, but sort of up in the Monroe's and love being outside so I always sort of had that aspect and then when I was studying business management as my undergraduate um, so I was doing that alongside playing I did this module in business sustainability strategies that just like made so much sense to me about almost the power that business could have because I suppose I was aware of the issues in in the climate around me maybe felt a bit helpless in terms of what I could actually do but first of all the opportunity and like the power that business could have but also I, you know I'm really interested in the future and what the future might look like and you know what the future of business was and it, it this module really sold to me that this was everything for the next 10 20 years so you know it ignited a lot of interest in me and I, I sort of I hadn't put the two together yet I had my sports career and then I thought right after sports I'm going to go into business sustainability that's my next passion you know when you finish sport and you've been so involved in something I think you need something else that you can really get stuck into and I was looking for that and this fitted that and so the two were quite separate until getting in contact with you, Melissa. And, you know, our, our parents are friends. We grew up in Edinburgh and, and it was it was such a funny little little world that then um, you ran before the Olympics, that course with the Olympians on, you know, the climate and climate issues. And I, and I sent a message and we got in contact and, and it sort of went from there. But, you know, that's been great in terms of actually then I've been able to look at what's happening in sport and sport and sustainability, which... You know, hadn't, as I said, I hadn't really considered, but it turns out there's just so much going on. So, yeah, and that's kind of got me to where my interest is now. I'm, I'm really interested in that business side still and sort of a strategic approach to operating sport in a, in a more sustainable way and what the future of sport looks like. Like that really still is what I'm interested in. But I've also got so interested in this this fan engagement piece, this wider piece of how sport can engage 
um, society and you know as, as governments try and get to, to net zero it's such a massive um, lever I think sport is such a massive player as a sort of trusted messenger and getting people on board and getting the right messaging out and I think has a huge part to play so it's just this area you know I'm very much at the start of this journey I'm I'm wanting to learn as much as I can you know I, I was lucky to get onto this Cambridge course and that's where I am at the moment just just a sponge just learning as much as I can and, and hopefully moving into this area. That's brilliant. I, I just wonder, what, what, when you said so much of that module you studied made sense from a business perspective, can you give us an example of a couple of things that really sort of like were, were real light bulb moments for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the broad part of it was people, planet, profit. So the whole, you know, the way capitalism and the market economy and, and the way society has evolved is, is so driven by profit that I think it's almost, you know, for me, business is there to promote well-being. So business is there to take something and make it into something that we want. And it's become so complicated that we've used profit and, and GDP and, and numbers as the drivers to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And we kind of just assume that profit equals well-being. So as long as we're making money, it's doing the right things. But actually, you know, people and planet are are suffering because of the way things are run because of this profit at all cost approach. Um, so it was about reframing that and thinking equally about people, planet, profit was the main thing. But then also got excited by profit as a driver. And it's almost it's sort of the Michael Porter profit is magic. If you can solve a problem and create profit, then you can do it again and again and again. Whereas, you know, if you create profit and then use philanthropy to fix a problem, and but just run things in the same way, then you're not, that depends on someone at the end going, oh, well, we'll fix that. And, and you know, that's never going to solve the problem at the root. But if you can solve a problem while making money and it's just exponential. So that power part, that sort of huge spread reach part was what excited me. It's really, that's really interesting, isn't it, Melissa? So, so, I mean, just, just to clarify that, that's people, planet, profit in that order, is it? No, no, it's just an equal. equal. So okay. it's the triple bottom line. So it used to be the bottom line is profit. Um, that's the yeah. sort of um, Friedman approach of shareholders are all that's important. That's all you focus yeah. on is business. Everything else is surplus. Whereas this sort of what's emerging now and, and the whole approach to sustainability is an equal approach to people, planet and profit. Okay. But sometimes, sometimes I think, certainly looking at some of the money made by some of the fossil fuel companies, you know, profit should be a little down, a little further down the line, and and planet should be more of a priority. But uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, Melissa, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's quite a compelling case to be made to sports organisations because I think there'll be some, all will be stressed about profit and how the books balance, and if you're able to come to them, not only appreciating what you also touched on which is the power of sport through fan engagement and and kind of wider initiatives to raise awareness around these issues everybody kind of I think is starting to buy into that but if you're able to pair that with saying and also it's going to help financially it's going to help in terms of profit we can actually run these two things alongside each other I think that's a, a really compelling place to be starting is it something that you're then building on in the studying that you're doing through in Cambridge is the business case for climate leadership part of what you're already engaged in yeah I'm, I'm, so what i'm actually focusing on with my studies so so it's a part-time master's and, and you take on these um sort of written projects throughout your career throughout your course and it ends up in a thesis and what i'm really interested in and focusing on is is fan behavior so the first piece is really small it's three thousand words which is actually far more tricky 
but I'm looking at recycling behaviours just to really narrow it down. So I'm looking at recycling behaviours on a match day at Scottish Rugby and what Scottish Rugby can do to make fans act in a more sustainable way with regards to recycling, but the idea being that you can then use that to then apply it to any other sustainable behaviour. So it's how can we use a match day to promote sustainable behaviours? And it's been, you know, massively interesting. So Katie O'Brien is someone that works at the IPCC. She's worked for decades in, in climate. And she talks about technical problems and adaptive problems. And technical problems are ones that you can identify and solve through knowledge that is already out there. So LED lighting in the stadium, you know, there's, there's the old lighting, there's a the new LED lighting. It's a technical problem. You just replace the lighting. That's that sort in this. That's the way that humans think. It's very straight line, Quick win. you know, empirical yeah. thinking. Whereas adaptive problems are problems that are to do with the way you think, your norms, your values, your beliefs. And what Katie Bryan says is that this isn't a technical problem climate. This isn't a CO2 problem because we have all the solutions are there. So it's actually this is an adaptive problem, which necessarily is much more difficult because you're asking people to look at their own beliefs and their own values and what they think. So it's much more complicated. And she, she puts it really well. She says, make sure that people are agents of change rather than objects to mm. change. And I think sport's very, you know, if sport wants to make fans do something at the moment, it almost treats people like objects and it will put out the press release, put out the pictures, you know, this is what we want to do, this is what we expect, done. And it's a very one-way relationship. Whereas what I'm excited about is creating a sort of two-way relationship, getting fans involved, getting athletes involved, almost convincing people the why. And I think that's far more powerful and, and a much better way of, of getting people, sure, the technical thing has to be in place, but it's almost like putting the goal there, articulating the goal, and then letting people find their own way towards that, give people the technical infrastructure that they need to make the decisions, but then convince them of the why. And it's far more... Um, powerful but you know very very um delicate because it's people's views that you're you're talking about yeah. challenging um and far less straightforward than a technical yeah. solution i think what's really interesting there is you're speaking from a almost from a fan point of view but you are an athlete and don't you think that fans need the athletes engaged as well uh, melissa actually said in the last episode when we were talking about premier league clubs flying to away games she was saying why you know why why should fans look at the way they travel to a match when they know full well that the team are, are jetting 150 miles so how important is that do you think that that the the athlete awareness really triggers the action from the fans yeah, so I think that's the thing. It's, it's got to be at all the levels. So if it was the sports organisation, a faceless sports organisation talking to fans about acting in a more sustainable way, then that's never going to work because there's, you know, there's so many things. There's travel, there's, there's all these things that the organisation represents. Whereas the power dynamic, I think, is important between who's giving the message. So in, in that dynamic, it's a powerful organisation giving out a message. Whereas if you can have athletes talking to athletes or fans talking to fans or staff talking to staff it's much more equal power dynamic and much more two-way so it's a much more compelling and convincing way so sure i think athletes are an important part of that and athletes are, are the the front-facing um you know part of our industry and and hold a massive key to getting people enthused about you know nature biodiversity climate change so i think athletes definitely hold a role i think it's got to be authentic and that's where this sort of sustainability advocate, captain, you know, whatever you want to call it, picking athletes out that care about these issues to talk about them is important. I think, you know, the, the wrong approach would be 
to get as an organization to decide we need to be more sustainable and talk more about sustainability and then throw an athlete out there to talk about it that doesn't work whereas if you get an athlete that actually cares about these issues and authentically talks about them and give them the space to talk about it in the way that they want to talk about it that's where it works because a faceless organization that message isn't powerful but coming from someone that that does care about these things that then becomes a powerful compelling message yeah i think that idea of having space to talk for the part of the athletes is sounds so key because when you're talking about i guess i was listening to you and thinking if we've got the real human fan and the faceless organization and the faceless organization is trying to get that fan to feel empowered and like a change agent rather than an object of change then maybe the conduit or the bridge for that is the real human being that is the athlete who works within the organization understands the organization's aims but maybe it doesn't work just to have a branded campaign with photos of an athlete saying yeah this is what i care about just in text or a tiny soundbite or a clip on on instagram maybe it does but actually having that space where somebody it sounds like the more humanity you can get attached to the athlete the more likely the fans would be to think okay that's a real human being that's not a faceless organization and it's not a just a, a a branded image this is a real human being like me who and if they care about this maybe i care about it as well but we're quite quick to maybe as athletes as well it's tricky if you're being interviewed around a match or a competition, you're trying to be quite tailored about what you what you let yourself tap into emotionally and what you don't and how many of your cards you reveal. And so I also think it's about creating spaces for athletes to talk about these issues and, and when those spaces are created and we maybe, we maybe have to be tailored about that. I don't know what either of you think about that. Yeah, I, I definitely think as, as an athlete wanting to talk about these issues, I had to put a lot of thought into how to approach different platforms. So, so for me, this is very easy. Um, but you know, because I know both of you, and because it's a podcast and it's very conversational, it's very easy to to come across in that way, mm-hmm. and for it to very naturally sort of come out. But you're right. If there's a post match interview, it becomes very difficult to use the space as effectively as possible. So, there's definitely different approaches. But I completely agree. Being human and being authentic and and coming across in the right way is the way to solve this problem. I think you you can't solve it through campaigns and and faceless organisations. You're listening to Emergency on Planet Sport and we're in conversation with Scotland rugby union player Jamie Farndale. Before we carry on with the chat, a quick message. If you've been enjoying the second series, to please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews really help get shows discovered by people who haven't necessarily gone looking for it. So as we try to spread this message and broaden the conversation, that's really a key part of what we're all about, getting more people to discover and engage. Really appreciate it. Thanks. And let's get back to the pod with Jamie and Melissa. I was wondering... Jonathan, um, in terms of this idea about creating spaces that athletes can speak in a more human way, could you kind of explain for us how those spaces might be created from your side, what you're thinking about if you really want to get the more human aspect of a person across that you're interviewing in your job, where that's been successful and how, how you go about doing it? Yeah, well, I think as as you mentioned right at the start of this series, Melissa, it's about it's about storytelling, isn't it? It's about those personal 
experiences which I think people can really really relate to so that's that's where I'm really interested in, in your work at Athletes of the World and I know World Athletics who we're hoping to speak to on a future edition as well have done a lot of videos recently with with athletes from really impacted regions of the world who have these I mean here we are sitting having this conversation in the UK and yes it's raining outside but let's face it our lives aren't aren't massively impacted are they by by the rain that's falling here in the south of England at the moment. So for me, it's about hearing more from those athletes who seriously, their families, their their children, their their training schedules, their, their competitions are massively impacted in ways that we can only imagine. Um, so I think that's, that's just really important, that, that first-hand storytelling. You're hearing a lot of that at Athletes of the World, aren't you? Yeah, we are hearing a fair amount. And I guess there's also the maybe you've unearthed a, a tricky piece. It's how do we get that humanity across about an issue that concerns us, even though we don't actually maybe have the real life story to dwell on. Athletes have li- snippets mm. of those stories because we can talk about playing in extreme heat, flooding and typhoons impacting our games, um, but they're, they're kind of sparsely populated examples at the moment. And yet we feel that fear and concern in a very real way, despite the fact that we don't have lived experience of it. So I agree with you that where we're able to give platform to the athletes who really are facing kind of crises points in their communities, that needs to happen. And how do we get the, the humanness across for other athletes as well? Because in some ways, athletes like Jamie are, are that much closer. If we're talking about just kind of stadiums of British fans at the moment, having people sitting in front of them who's maybe it's too remote to say um oh now we're going to turn to a, an athlete from uh, Fiji or Tonga or Samoa maybe actually it's that I mean it's really how many bridges can we create how many stepping stones can we create yeah. to get somebody from where they are to the the concern and the age it's almost like you were, I mean I'm just thinking off the top of my head here mm-hmm. but almost in a in a situation like like this this podcast right now it was you, you could almost have like a remote buddy system or a, almost like a pen pal, who, an athlete in the UK who's engaged and interested and wants to talk is really familiar with the story of someone they, they might know, they might not know them in another region of the world who says, you know, I know about this guy in Nigeria or in Pakistan or wherever it might be and you won't believe the story that they've got to tell and you know I'm so lucky because I play football in the UK or rugby in in Scotland or wherever it may be but listen to this guy's story so almost bringing that connection into it I think that that would be quite interesting yeah it's it's an interesting point as well you know when it comes to international sport you know, I end up with all the Scottish athletes and, and maybe climate has a certain impact on us, you know, that, that's less than a Fijian athlete. So um, actually being put in contact with athletes from Fiji and from all over the world that talked about how climate was impacting them made it made it much more real in, you know, a similar way when I was playing with Edinburgh, where it's not international and there's different players. I had a Fijian clubmate who, you know, I was really, really close with, Aroni Sao, and he talked about the water coming right up to the level of his house and the beach that he grew up playing rugby on you know not being there anymore and as you said those personal story to telling connections when that comes to sport where you know you become such a family through sport makes it really real 
on that on that point about the, your your Fijian friend there, do you is there enough talk in rugby generally, Jamie, about the existential threat to the Pacific Islands? Because rugby is a a small base of international playing nations, but the, the Pacific Islands are so valuable in that, aren't they? I mean, they are right at the heart of what rugby is all about. So many of them, you know, do their morning training on the beach, don't they? And as you say, beaches which might not now exist and certainly won't in 10, 20 years' time. How much, how much talk is there in the sport of rugby about the threat to the Pacific Islands? Uh, I mean, certainly within my circle, that sort of sustainability sports circle, there is a lot, as you say. I think that the stat at the last World Cup was something crazy, like 20% or something of players across different countries were from, um, you know, Fiji, Samoa, um, so you know they're a massive part of of rugby, but you know it, it's interesting. Um, with Aroni, it was through me asking him that this sort of story came out. It was, you know, I'd I'd been really really close friends with him for a year or so before. You know, I said, "Oh, has has climate change ever affected you?" And he said, "Yeah, you know, this, you know, the village that I grew up in." And he talked about the rising level of the sea, and it's now at the steps of his his door. You know, it, yeah, it's definitely a story that I brought that out of Aroni. It wasn't, you know, that's a very personal example but there's definitely going to be you know so many stories of that across the pacific islands and and ones that i think are very real and, and you know very powerful and you know i would love to see you know if, if they were happy to share those stories you know i'd love to see see it shared more yeah and I, th- I think we have a responsibility as well you know to to tell those stories and, and give those people a platform to be able to bring those stories to the world because as I mentioned earlier here we are sitting you know in the rain but it it doesn't massively impact our our life Melissa so let's hear from more people for whom it does agreed agreed agreed. I will just add that I'm in Edinburgh and it's not actually raining so (laughs) congratulations (laughs) always important the rare occasion (laughs) do you think do you think more athletes are really keen to engage do you know people who do want to get involved like like you have Jamie but just don't quite know where to start definitely and and part of you know being part of a sevens team there's 13 of us that travel around together and we eat dinner together and and obviously a lot of my teammates take an interest in what I'm doing and um you know I get the mickey taken out of me a lot for for a lot of it but uh, also you know they are genuinely interested and you know these these are issues that people care about for sure um, I'm sure you've covered a lot on this, um, you know, the, the hypocrisy and lack of knowledge and all these barriers that we talk about athletes having. And for sure they're there. And it's, you know, another conversation how to remove those barriers. But there's definitely like people are interested. Athletes are interested. And I think the momentum will shift. And, and you know, as we have sustainability ambassadors that are perhaps the first to speak publicly about these issues and, and more will follow and, and you know, the, the interest for sure is there amongst all, all athletes. It's just, I think it's just a matter of time and, and removing those barriers before, you know, all of sport is, is talking much more openly. I guess kind of springboarding from that, it, uh, um, one of the things we wanted to discuss with you, Jamie, um, you were sustainability captain for Team Scotland coming into the Commonwealth Games and, and were also part of some of the initiatives trying to bring athletes from across the Commonwealth countries, the global north, the global south, together around behaviour change and climate education and things like that. So I wonder, firstly, could we start with that role of sustainability captain and, and you explain a bit about what that involved and, um, and, and how that experience was for you? Yeah. 
it sort of links in a lot to what I was saying at the start about, you know, a lot of my experience in sport has been of an organisation thinking, right, we want to talk about something, you know, if that's for Team Scotland, they want to talk about sustainability, then before it would be, let's put out a nice press release, let's pick some athletes and get a picture of them and put something out. Whereas the approach that Team Scotland took was to go, right, we want to talk about sustainability. And then they took the time to go and look at all their athletes and work out who cared about this space and, and came across myself and, and Fee and approached us and asked if we wanted to become sustainability captains. And then all they really did from there was give us a bit of space in terms of put us in some sort of in front of some media and, you know, give us some sort of interviews about things. And they just gave us the space to talk about what we wanted to talk about. And because we're both pulling in the same direction, it just worked really well for everyone, I think, you know, I, I think it is a really clear example of how, you know, well sports organisations can, can go about this. I know it's such an important step in the process is working out what your athletes care about and pulling them forward. Um, as opposed to, you know, in the past for me, I, it's certainly been my experience that there's been a, a player request to have a player speak about, speak for a brand or about an issue. And it's just whoever's not playing that weekend or whoever's available is just picked out a hat yeah I think it was a really clear example and something I was really honoured to to be asked to do and, and loved having the having the space to do so it was really exciting but that that's really interesting in itself isn't it because that come that comes back to what we were saying a minute ago against the, about the authenticity of of the conversation this this can't just be a soundbite this can't just be because the press officers asked you to do an interview about green matters at, at your club you've you've got to be really into it and you've got to care and that's what always perplexes me a little bit that more people don't because this is the future of the planet it's like what what can be more important so i'm just wondering how we take that take that next stage to in, engage more it almost feels like too much too much trouble at the moment and i'm, I'm just wondering how we get over yeah, that i guess I challenge that a little bit. I think sometimes it can be the soundbite. And some of our, Jamie and I worked together on uh, this letter to World Rugby um, in 2021. Yes, about a year ago. And, um, and that's 200 professional rugby players signing their name. That in some ways to me feels like the equivalent of a soundbite. It's an action that you can take to align yourself with a, a concern and a goal. But I think that we also need the depth and the humanity to be there as well. So I don't think it's an either or, and there will be some athletes, I don't think it's realistic or necessary for every athlete to reach a stage where they can really show a, a level of vulnerability and, and communicate in depth why they're concerned about these. Sometimes it can be really simple. I think actually what I'm reminded of is when Caroline Carlin was talking about the impact that one fan getting in touch with a club had um, made in, in terms of how they'd started recycling their plastics as a as an organisation. And I think that that sort of, in some ways, I don't know how, how in-depth that fan went, but throw away soundbite remarks, I think, can carry more weight than we think, but we also need the greater, more intense engagement as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, I, and also, I mean, you mentioned that geeky that group that we put together before the Commonwealth Games, you know, that was also a really valuable mm. WhatsApp group, just connection with other athletes that, that cared about these issues. Because you do sort of, um, you know, for me, it, you know, you really helped me, Melissa, in terms of, you know, speaking publicly for the first time. And, and it is, I suppose it is quite vulnerable. It's, it, you know, with anything and when you're speaking publicly and uh, about these things. So having a group and, and 
being connected with our other athletes was a really important part for me going into that Commonwealth Games you know sharing those issues and and some of the steps that Kiki got us to take as well were, were quite a good way and an and eye-opening way of working out you know steps that we can take in our own lives so you know just things like that also you know while they might not be so public facing are also really important ways of, of getting athletes engaged yeah Absolutely. Just to give a little bit of background for listeners, maybe, um, that Geeky is a, is a platform that you can use to map your carbon footprint and then recommend up to 130 different steps for you to reduce your footprint. So with this group of athletes ahead of the Commonwealth Games, we had athletes from Fiji to Australia to New Zealand to the UK and, and Europe um, measuring their footprint and, uh, and then taking different steps to reduce it. And we use this WhatsApp group so that the athletes involved could share with one another the steps that they were taking, what they were finding easier or more difficult. And it's actually so encouraging to see the ease with, such, with which some of those adjustments were made. And, and I think especially one of the big goals behind that was that as an athlete, I think it's so easy to feel quite agency less because you're put on flights you're put in hotels you're given food from the canteen that you can't always control and and it can feel a little bit like for athletes who want to reduce their footprint how do you go about doing that when you've got really little control and that you need to be different places in a short window and things like that so this was about trying to actually highlight all the ways that we can create change it might not be emission-wise, it's not going to make up for the fact that there's a lot of travel involved, but there are opportunities to make change. And I was also surprised that Hannah and I signed up for it as well. And it was quite surprising how how much of a difference all of these these steps make um, together. I'd like to ask you one more, Jamie, about the business side of things, um, you know, to link your interest in sustainability, but also your, your, your studies in business. Well, and we've talked on this series about the changing commercial landscape almost where partnerships with purpose are now far more more evident obviously there are some classic examples where that isn't the case and a a big check still counts for a lot but what about the business case for being involved in this space yeah there would be a few that i'd point to um i think i'd point at fans and partners and government as well, probably. And then I talk about risks. So from a fan engagement point of view, I think sport is evolving now. I think, you know, no longer do you, like it's still a massive part, but no longer do you necessarily sell sport through the actual match day product. And you look at Drive to Survive, you look at, you know, TikTok, um, you get these fans of sport that don't necessarily sit down and watch an 80 minute match of rugby or, you know, a full game of, of football. So it's about finding new ways to engage new fans. And I think purpose is such a massive part of that. Um, so I think if you are able to demonstrate that purpose and, and make it authentic, especially to a younger generation of fans who care about issues about the climate, care about social issues, I think fans expect more of organisations now. So I think that's a massive part that organisations have to get right. They can't just rely on their match, match day product anymore. Um, and then I'd say in terms of partners, from what I've found, so many big the people that fund sport, the big organisations around sport, have their own sustainability agendas. And for me, sport is sort of catching up with that. Um, so I think, you know, first of all, you need to have be able to have a conversation as a sports organisation about what you're doing in this space. But there's also an opportunity to, to sort of take a leadership role and, and be a front runner. I think, you know, that, that definitely is, you know, there's a, there's a business case in that. 
And as I mentioned at the start with governments, governments are looking at getting to net zero. There's these massive challenges out there. They need to have the, you know, I talked about adaptive changes. They need to get society to, to take on these changes in behaviour if we want to get to net zero. And, you know, government scientists, you know, it's very difficult for them to, to have that influence that sport has. So there's definitely a role there. And as political pressure increases, as social pressure increases, as legal pressure increases, you know, this ratchet approach that we see from, from the COP meetings, there definitely is increasing risk on business for, for not acting in this space. So there's definitely a business case. You know, I'd love, you know, my vision would be, as I mentioned at the start, people, planet, profit. I would love for, you know, take Scottish rugby. I'd love in however many years, every time a, a match was played, that it made money because that's what is important for it to operate as a business. But also if it gave back to the planet, if you had a circular approach to, to waste management, if you had biodiversity on site, if you were running off, you know, renewable sources of energy, and also if you gave back to people, which I think is baked into sport already. There's there's so many social advantages of playing sport. We saw through COVID during lockdown when professional sport didn't exist, just how much it meant to people. So I think if you were to be able to, every time a match was run, give back to people, planet and profit, you've got a business there that is going to run forever. And if you have a business that's just looking at profit and that's that's all they're interested in because of all these pressures, you're not going to, you know, I'd give you a lifespan of, you know, five, 10, 20 years. I don't think we're talking long. So I think getting the, the balance right is a massive part of what business looks like in the future. And um, yeah, I think throughout sport, we're already seeing sort of CSOs, chief sustainability officers coming in and these roles being created. You know, I think that's going to be a massive part of business over the, in the coming decades and, and, and a huge voice that yeah. needs to be at board level. Yeah. Brilliant. That's, that's really the clip, good. as they say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was fantastic. <laughs> <The sound bite. laughs> yeah. Jamie, that was so good. Thank you so much. Jamie, thanks so much for, for coming on. That was absolutely fascinating. Good luck uh, in your rehab from your injury, but uh, you'll use your time wisely, as you have pointed out, and uh, and keep chatting. Yeah. Keep up the good fight. Uh, no, thank you for having me on. Yeah, and, and this point, you know, I'm loving this podcast as well, so, so keep keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Lovely. Thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate nice. it. Thanks for your time. Great. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Brilliant. Thank yeah, yeah, good to have a chat.